Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. It's Black Friday, big day for shopping, but is your gift made in America? We'll help you out. Today on the show, a California congressman on economic patriotism and the latest from the United Steelworkers. Welcome to the Friday, November 24th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests today. We're going to start things off with Representative Ro Khanna. Roe is a representative of California's 17th district. That's the uh, Silicon Valley area just outside San Francisco. And he is a leading, and I mean a leading progressive voice in the House. And he is working to restore our manufacturing and technology sector. And at the same time, advance U.S. leadership on climate, human rights, and diplomacy in the world. He proudly represents that district, serving his fourth term, serves on the House Armed Services Committee as ranking member of the Subcommittee on Cyber Innovative Technologies and Information Systems. He's also co-chair of the Congressional Caucus on India and Indian Americans. He's a member of the Select Committee on the Strategic Competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party and also on the Oversight and Accountability Committee, where he previously chaired the Environmental Subcommittee. He has worked across the aisle, he's going to talk about that, to deliver on legislation to invest in science and technology, create millions of good-paying tech jobs, and revitalize American manufacturing and production. He was a key vote in the Chips and Science Act, which we are seeing wonderful results in all these regional hubs, one of them in central Ohio. He is a very strong supporter of the labor movement and has pushed for policies like the PRO Act to ensure that no one with a full-time job needs to rely on food stamps, housing vouchers, or other welfare. He's also one of only a few members of Congress to refuse contributions from PACs and lobbyists. And he supports a 12-year term limit for members of Congress, 18 years for Supreme Court justices. That, that's a tall order. So uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of all of what I just said, and we're going to zero in on what he calls the new economic patriotism. He's all about this, which he says is a plan to strengthen American manufacturing create good-paying union jobs, and prioritize workers. So he's going to be our first guest on the show. I'm so excited to have him on the show. He's a dynamo. We just need uh, more voices like Ro Khanna, no doubt about that. Mark Murray will be joining us as our second guest on behalf of uh, one of our big sponsors here. That's the United Steelworkers National website, usw.org. He is a staff rep for District 1 which used to be just the state of Ohio. Now it encompasses all of Ohio and all of Michigan, which is kind of interesting considering the two football teams that are going to be playing tomorrow, both with undefeated records. We'll, we'll touch on that just a little bit. But what we're primarily going to 
look into is the Thomas Strip Steel. It's the 100th anniversary, and they're talking about uh, expanding it due to EV production. A little background here. Um, they specialize in the manufacture of uh, various steels, end products like cold rolled, hot rolled, direct rolled, electroplated nickel, nickel zinc, copper, and brass plated steel strips, all products available with a variety of surface finishes and coatings. So very specialized, very specialized. And uh, we'll talk about the history there at the Thomas Strip Steel, now known as Tata Steel, and uh, what he sees happening ahead. Apparently, um, there's a lot of demand for this, and they're talking about perhaps another factory on the West Coast. We'll touch on that with uh, Mark Murray. Mark, longtime representative of the United Steelworkers. Again, USW.org. Well, as you know, today is Black Friday, a lot of shopping, a lot of online shopping, and I have to drive you to a great website, AmericanManufacturing.org. I talked about this earlier in the week, and it, man, I'm, I'm just going to pound this because it's so important because people want to buy products made in the United States. So the Alliance has found, and they did some strategic polling on this, a vast majority, 81% of American adults prefer to purchase holiday gifts made in the United States. And by the way, that's been going up. It's a five percentage point increase from last year. An overwhelming majority, 86%, would purchase more made in America goods if they were made more widely available through retailers. Well, here's what you got to do go to AmericanManufacturing.org, and they just posted this, I believe it was Monday. It's the 2023 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide. This is the 10th anniversary edition. And they have gift ideas from all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. It is the biggest list ever, featuring more than 200 companies that manufacture products in the United States. And in honor of the guide's 10th anniversary, they've included both new gift ideas and old favorites. And they note the old favorites in which year they talked about them. And the breakdown is so great. They did such a good job on this. You can go to categories like toys, kids, bath, beauty, jewelry, socks. Or say you're living in Minnesota or Florida and you want to buy a gift in that state. Well, they have a state-by-state -state rundown. Great job saluting the Alliance for American Manufacturing on the Made in America Holiday Gift Guide, AmericanManufacturing.org. All right, quick break. Ro Khanna, representative out of California, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Liuna at liuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. 
With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great iron worker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at IFPTE.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to line number one and welcome a very distinguished guest. Ro Khanna is his name. If it sounds familiar, he is a representative. I've seen him many, many times on TV, especially on CNN. Representative of California's 17th District, which is the Silicon Valley area. And I'll tell you, he's got an interesting story. He's very progressive. Very pro-labor. Of course, that's one of the reasons we have him on the show today. One of many, I should say. But uh, his background, his parents immigrated to the United States back in the 1970s from India. And like many, they were in search of opportunity and a better life. His dad, a chemical engineer. His mom, a substitute school teacher. Fast forward. Before serving in Congress, Ro Khanna taught economics at Stanford University served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Commerce in the Obama administration, author of two books, received his law degree from Yale. <laughs> is there anything that you haven't done yet in your life, Mr. Khanna? I mean, this is pretty, pretty, you're, you're a pretty accomplished guy. You me with your audience here? I mean, read all my, uh, you know, highfalutin uh, credentials. I, 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 try to, I try to keep that in the background. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look at your story here. You came here. Your parents came here for a better life. And obviously, you end up in the halls of Congress. Sadly, though, it hasn't been a very productive Congress. Uh, I was reading. In fact, it's the least productive up till now. Anyway, the least productive since the Great Depression. And it's sad. We've got a little division, well, little, a lot of division in the country today, but uh, you have to navigate through how, let me ask, let's start right there. If you don't mind, uh, how does that affect you? I mean, you're in the state of California. It's a different environment over there. Very pro union, very pro labor. Um, but, but there's a select few that just 
I guess they just don't want to move forward. They, it's my way or the highway. Can we, can we f- reflect on that briefly? Look, it's, it's frustrating that uh, you've got members of Congress who want to challenge each other to duels. I thought that they did that back in the 1800s and not focused on the country. Look, when my parents came here, and my father in the 1960s, mom in the 1970s, this was the country everyone wanted to be in. We were sending a person to the moon. We built every new industry. This was a manufacturing superpower. And then for 50 years, we made a colossal mistake in this country. I call it the offshore and globalization debacle. We just thought that it didn't matter if America made stuff. We went from being the largest exporter of steel to nine out of the 15 top steel companies now in China, where we're an importer of steel. We lost aluminum. We lost paper. We lost semiconductors. We lost industry after industry. And both parties sat there and watched as it happened. And you had in my district, actually, huge technology growth. You know how much my district is worth? $10 trillion, the market cap of companies. The world is the oyster for young people. So I'm representing this district, sitting here saying, we've got to reindustrialize America. We should build America, make America a manufacturing superpower. This shouldn't be partisan. And all people want to do is uh, fight with each other. It's frustrating to me because it's not a vision for the country. No, no. And they're just kicking the can down the road here. I mean, there's some things they have to do with the debt. But, you know, cutting Social Security and Medicare, no, that's not one of them. And I know there's a select few and, and it seems to be growing, too, especially on the far right side, to do just that. But I, you know what I want to concentrate, though, on right now is your, your, uh, your plan here for a new economic patriotism. I just like the way that sounds. Economic patriotism. We hear about patriotism, but this is economic patriotism. What, what do you actually mean by that? It means let's have a plan to become a manufacturing superpower again. Let's have a plan where we don't have massive trade deficits. You know, last time we had a trade surplus in this country, 1975, our trade deficit with China continues to to increase. Let's build the modern industries here in the United States and bring economic prosperity in every district in the country. So people say, okay, sounds good, Ro. How? Let's talk about Johnstown, Pennsylvania, or Warren, Ohio, which I'm sure your listeners know and the steel plants that left. You've got actually an opportunity, because all the steel plants that are in China, three times the carbon emissions. You've got Cleveland Cliffs that's got a plant in Toledo with direct reduction impact, far lower carbon emissions than anything in China, and they've got good union jobs. Why can't we have a plan in this country with the government support and private sector and unions where we say we're going to put modern steel plants that are either going to be direct reduction impact or low hydrogen in places that used to have steel, and we're going to have modern steel in America and reindustrialize these towns. And the president should go to war in Johnstown, downriver Michigan, announcing new steel is back with government support. I think we could have a concrete plan to bring new industry, new economic vitality into regions that have been left out. And by the way, if we do that and we bring everyone on board, if we bring the private sector, if we bring unions, if we bring government, if we bring immigrants and people who've gone back generations who've had families in these sectors, then we can come together as a country and say, this is what's going to make us preeminent. This is what's going to bring us together. 
Well, you've done your homework on the Midwest. I mean, you're calling out the cities in Ohio and Michigan. I like that. That's that's good. And and those are cities that have been devastated. They've been hollowed out. The middle class has been hollowed out. So this plan that you have, is this on paper? Are you are you talking to people in Congress? Have you talked to the White House about this? Where, where do we stand with this new economic patriotism? So the new economic patriotism is a broader vision beyond steel that I've written about and advocated for. But the steel bill, which is the, a concrete manifestation of it, I'm working actually with the re- Republicans, uh, one in Florida, one in Indiana, and saying, look, let's, let's get this done. Uh, let's come up with a plan, you know, spend... Uh, the money, the billions of dollars. It, it's not a huge investment when you look at the four or five trillion dollar federal uh, budget. And think about the symbolic value. If 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 Joe Biden with Sharon Brown was in Warren, Ohio, announcing that steel is back, America is America is going to lead in steel again. And by the way, for all the folks on the left and climate, this is much better than the climate emitting stuff they're put, putting out in China. And this is going to pay a much better wage. And we're going to build our national pride. It's not just about uh, the jobs. It's about a sense of restoring American pride in these communities. And I, I think the mistake we made as a country is we watched the hollowing out of these country, these communities. We gave some loose talk about go learn how to code, and people said, "Come on," uh, or or go get retrained, and people said, "Come on," and we didn't do anything. And if I was living, I, I was in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And I'll tell you something, after I went there, if I was living in one of those communities, I'd vote everyone out to. I would say, what the hell happened to my country? And no one cared about me. And and that, I think, is the sentiment that we have in large parts of this country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so sad what has happened here. And it, it started many years ago it, it, with deregulation, bad trade deals. And it's kind of funny, too, because there were many, especially in the – in the GOP, they were in favor of these trade deals. And I of think course, a lot of that, they started yeah, them. <laughs> that, yeah that, that had a lot to do with cheap labor. Uh, you know, Mexico. And then if it wasn't cheap enough, they sent it over to China or to Vietnam. And, uh, and as a result, I mean, here's, here's where we are today. Now, some of those jobs are coming back. I was reading that you were co-author of the Chips and Science Act. Uh, maybe we could delve into that if you don't mind a little bit, because in in fact, Ohio, Central Ohio, I don't know if you've been in Central Ohio lately. I mean, it's, it's booming. In fact, some are calling it the new Silicon Valley. There might be a little competition with your district over there. I just want to let you know that because Intel. I love has it. Plan- I love it. Yeah, competition is good. Yeah, competition Intel- is good, and we need it. We need we need more dispersion of of, of technology and opportunity in different parts of the country. You know, it used to be when the Railroad towns did did, 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 did well, that uh, the manufacturing towns would do well, the coal towns would do well. Every There was a web of connectivity in our economy. Now it's been so disconnected. If Silicon Valley or Wall Street did as well, it doesn't necessarily mean Johnstown, uh, Ohio, Johnstown, Johnstown, Ohio does well. And so I think the fact that Columbus is thriving uh, is a good thing. And uh, I was there with the president uh, and uh, the Intel CEO around there when uh, – the uh, chips factory there, the Intel's factory, was launched. Uh, that's a direct result of the investment that Congress uh, is putting in. A total of $52 billion, some of it going into Ohio. It was bipartisan. Governor DeWine deserves credit. Uh, I passed the Chips Act with Senator Rob Portman's help, Senator Todd Young's help, uh, Senator Schumer's help, Senator Brown's help. 
And we need to highlight that those are going to be good union jobs or uh, trade jobs that are building those factories, and uh, Intel's committed to hiring union folks in those factories. And this is what I mean by economic patriotism. Look, those factories are going to take PhDs to run as well. You can't be against higher education and against college and against PhDs and expect modern factories. It's just impossible. And they're going to have immigrants. You know, that's the reality of modern technology. But you know what? When we're all working together, they're also going to be creating a tremendous amount of trade jobs and blue-collar jobs and jobs in, in Ohio. And, but what it's required was Intel, the private sector, labor unions, the state government, and the federal government. If the federal government hadn't put in money, those jobs would have gone to Ohio or to Asia because those governments were willing to fund manufacturing. And so my point is, if we could do it for semiconductors, why can't we do it for steel? Why can't we do it for aluminum? Why can't we do it for critical industries in this country? Why can't we try to re- reignite the economic engine in every district in America? And isn't that what would bring us together as Americans? We're so divided. I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-LGBTQ uh, equality. I'm, I'm, there, on some issues, we're, I'm not going to be able to persuade people on the other side. But if I say, let's build America to be the biggest power in manufacturing, to be preeminent, to have economic prosperity in every district. That's something that can unite our country. We're speaking with Representative Ro Khanna of the 17th District in uh, California, and we're talking about creating good jobs, union jobs if possible. If you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit more about some of the administration's policies that have gone primarily to -to right-to-work states where there's very low union density. And uh, I don't know if they just gobble those up. They figure they're going to make a lot of money. Some of the corporations over there that are going to be working with the legislation, because, you know, frankly, the first two years of the Biden administration, there was some very powerful legislation that's going to affect workers for years to come. But sadly, again, they went to those southern states. Um, were you part of that discussion and, or, or can we still get in that discussion to kind of pave the way to make sure that the wages are family sustainable wages? What, what's the answer to that, Ro? I think it was a big mistake for the administration not to have clear guidelines that you had to have union labor or you had to have at least a labor neutrality in getting those funds. And they finally woke up when Sean Fain forced them to wake up at the UAW. And he said, look, this is ridiculous. You're, you're calling me up to congratulate me that we're getting some billion-dollar grant and you're putting it in a in Alabama or Tennessee, and my members are not benefiting. My members are getting hurt because they're hiring people to build new electric vehicle batteries, and they're not paying a living wage, and those aren't going to the UAW folks, and you're basically hurting my members. And that was a wake-up call to the administration. Uh, the reality is you're never going to get support for clean tech jobs if they're not good jobs, if they're not as good as the old jobs used to be. They've got to be union jobs. And so Gene Sperling got involved. Now they've changed some of the criteria. They, my hope is going forward they're going to condition those grants and having labor neutrality. They're going to look to states that, uh, that are supportive of, of, of union labor. And my view is the first place those grants should be going is places that were deindustrialized. I mean, think about if those jobs were going into places like uh, Ashtabula County and Warren, Ohio, and Downriver, Michigan. I mean, that, that's what we need in this country, to invest in the places that were uh, abandoned by the federal government. So 
I think that the intent of Congress was for that money to be linked to good-paying union jobs. Ro Khanna joining us on our live line right now, representative of California's 17th District. I should give the uh, website. You want to get some more information on him. It's K-H-A-N-N-A, Khanna.house.gov. We'll continue the conversation right after this. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. When you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. Well, we got a 10-star guest on our live line today, Ro Khanna. He's a representative. In California's 17th district, he's very pro-labor. We talked about the new economic patriotism. And, boy, there's a lot more. I know you're a big supporter of the PRO Act. I want to touch on that. Sadly, that's not going to get anywhere, especially in this Congress. But uh, I want to go back to uh, when you brought some CEOs, uh, I guess, from six major fossil fuel companies before Congress to talk about climate change. And uh, I guess there's a lot of, well, I don't have to guess. I know there's a lot of disinformation out there. That sounded like it had to be a pretty interesting conversation. Can you, uh, can you go back to that time? Sure. Well, here's why people should be upset at the big oil companies. It's not just that we're paying too much at gas, that the gas pump, partly because they're putting that money into stock buybacks and 
dividends, and this is why in California it's almost high 50 gas. I don't know what it is in Ohio these days, but it's too high. Uh, it's because they misled the uh, country for 40, 50 years. They said that burning fossil fuels did not cause climate change, that we did not need to do anything to transition, that we were perfectly fine. And at the same time, they had scientists in their own companies writing reports to the executives that we discovered saying climate is a real crisis, that burning fossil fuels causes climate change, that we should be taking, taking mitigating action. Now imagine if since the 1970s we had not been lied to and we had actually tried, tried to transition 1% a year. We'd be in a totally different place. We'd be, we wouldn't be dependent on Saudi Arabia. We wouldn't be dependent on Venezuela. We wouldn't be dependent on Iranian potential oil or Russia. All these petro states that we're dependent on, because even though the United States has enough production, we don't get. We still rely on the imports of certain types of oil that can be refined here. Not all of our own production can be uh, refined here, and so. We, they did this country a disservice by not allowing us to transition in a way that would have allowed us to have much more uh, renewable energy uh, is a mix uh, with our fossil fuels. And we would not have had the volatility in our gas prices. We would have been much ahead of the curve on climate. And that's what I was saying. You, you, know, you did the same thing the tobacco companies did. You didn't tell the American people the truth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember those days very, very well. And then finally, it all came out. Uh, Inflation Reduction Act. I know you played a key role in that to make sure that those climate provisions remain in the final deal. Do you feel that the deal? Well, obviously, everything can be improved. But how do you feel about that? Is that going to make a a significant change here in America? I do. I think it is uh, creating new jobs already. It's creating uh, jobs in solar. It's creating jobs in wind. It's creating jobs in battery it's creating jobs in electric vehicle. All of that is the things we need. Even if I can't convince you about climate, and most people now are, see it firsthand. They've seen the floods. They've seen the wildfires. They've, they've been in uh, situations where they breathe, had, had to breathe the smoke. Uh, they understand the impact it has on farming and, and produce. But even if, you, if you're not 100% convinced, I'll tell you something. There's a $9 trillion energy market. China and Europe are competing for all of this new energy. I want America to win. I want America to lead. I want that stuff to be made here. And the Inflation Reduction Act is a step uh, towards doing that. Are you surprised that it got uh, no Republican support when that legislation was uh, brought, brought forth? I'm not, because I say to someone, if you say to a Republican, I'm for American manufacturing, I want to produce that stuff here, they'll applaud. And then you say... And by the way, it happens to be green. The applause stops. It's like the word has become so politicized. And I, why are we politicizing it? You know, it's just a yeah. new form of energy. I mean, it's like, why have a romanticization for the flip phone when you have the smartphone? So, okay, we had one type of, we used to have horse and buggies, and we have fossil fuels, and now there's other types of new energy. Don't we want to lead? We want to lead in everything. We want it to lead in nuclear. We want to lead in the new forms of energy. And we've got to depoliticize this. We've got to say this is about American leadership, about American strength in new markets. We're speaking with uh, Representative Ro Khan of California's 17th District, which is the Silicon Valley District. 
Representative, I would like to switch gears here a little bit and talk about money in politics. And we've seen an overflow of money ever since uh, Citizens United. And uh, as a result of that, there's a lot of people that are kind of turned off about, you know, running for Congress. I know there's been some union brothers and sisters that have made bold attempts and they've, they've made some inroads, especially on the local level. But when it comes to uh, races like yours, Senate races are off the charts and all. But I'm just wondering... Uh, that money, obviously, when you have a lot of money in politics, well, who's writing the checks? Corporations are writing those checks. And obviously, if they're going to write a check like that, they're going to expect some some results in return. How do we combat that kind of thing? Do we need to kind of revisit that? The Supreme Court is the one that made that decision. But I'd like to get your take on it. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, it costs uh $2 million to run for Congress, and you have to raise that uh, from individuals. And it's uh, a huge barrier for most folks to be able to do it. And uh, it's a shame. And that's why there are not many people who are from the working class who choose to run for these offices. And that's why we've had policies for the last 50 years that said, let's, let's just maximize for the corporate interest and corporate greed. Just maximize for shareholder profits. Who cares if the jobs go to China and Vietnam and Mexico? Who cares if they're exploiting workers there? Who cares if there are no environmental standards? Who cares if these communities are being destroyed? I mean, we didn't have people in the Congress fighting for it. I mean, you had some. You had people like Sherrod Brown. You had Paul Wellstone. You had Russ Feingold, Bernie Sanders, but they were in the minority. And we need more people to get there. So how do we how do we get there? Starting out, I, I don't take any PAC money, lobbyist money, uh, don't have a leadership PAC. I said stop PAC money, stop super PACs. That would be a, a, a good start. But you can't have the Democrats just also unilaterally disarm. And so the, you need the Supreme Court to uh, reverse Citizens United, have a constitutional amendment that says that uh, Citizens United is wrong and we, we should not have super PACs in our, uh, in our democracy. And then the other idea I've had is get, make every citizen a, a, a donor. I mean, give everyone 100 bucks they can spend on public campaigns. Uh, and so you, you have a voter, vote and you can give money to some of your candidates so that you don't have the situation that if you're a billionaire, multimillionaire, you have more of a say in our democracy. It's just not fair. It's not what our founders intended. I know you support uh, term limits for members of Congress, a 12-year term limit. Do you think that would help the situation at all? I do. I mean, look, I, I, I think it's hard to do unless you, you start it, because otherwise it takes t- 10 years just to get seniority to be able to be effective. And, you know, you have Sherrod and Tim Ryan when he was there who became effective after a long time because of seniority. But I think if you limit it, whether it's 12 years, uh, we can debate the number, then you don't have the same kind of uh, stagnancy in the political system. I mean, people say, oh, look, our leaders have been there 30, 40 years. And it'd be one thing if this was the greatest generation that won World War II, but, you know, the record's pretty mixed. There's certain things that have gone well in the country and other things that haven't. Income inequality is at a record high. Three billionaires, the rich, three richest people in this country own more wealth than the bottom 50%. And folks are looking at it and they're saying, you know what, the American dream is kind of out of reach for my kids. And that's... See, this is the challenge for the president. I think the president's done an incredible job with the Inflation Reduction Act and with the infrastructure bill and the CHIPS bill. But you got to speak to people's real life. And when, 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 when people are out there, they're saying, my groceries still cost a lot. 
Gas still costs a lot. And you know what? That American dream still seems out of reach. I can't buy the house. I can't pay the rent. My kids, I can't afford to send them either to, to college. And if they're with a trade school, I, I don't know what the costs are going to be. And I don't know what they're going to make. And we got to realize that we need bold still changes for a working class, middle class agenda uh, for people to start feeling better about these things. It took 50 years to erode the middle class. It's not going to be rebuilt in two years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you talked about Sean Fain in the first segment, and I'll tell you, I truly admire him. And Sean O'Brien is another one. Uh, and we've seen some record contracts this year. I'm a member of SAG-AFTRA, the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah, America. great. Yeah, Amer- which, is, which is based in, in uh, Los Angeles, a little south from your area there. But uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of organizing. You know what's going on. It's been, it's, it's been a very robust year. I'm just wondering if we can, I'm hoping we can continue this into 2024 and beyond. And obviously these policies coming out of the White House, National Labor Relations Board are all helping. And uh, how, do you, how do you see things panning out? I mean, I'm, I, obviously you don't have a crystal ball and all that, but you, I mean, as a progressive, you got to feel pretty good about what's happened in America, especially with unions. The, the, the unions give me the most hope. I mean, the Shawns are American heroes. I mean, Sean Fain did what he did for workers and getting that kind of raise uh, was unbelievable, and and standing in solidarity and being strategic. Same with Sean O'Brien and what he did for part-time workers at at UPS, and 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 uh, then the actors strike. I mean, I was on the picket lines both with the couple times with the uh, the actors and writers, and I was on the picket lines out in Michigan and in Toledo with UAW. I mean, it's it was just inspiring. People are sick of it. They understand what's happened in this country: corporate greed, handouts tax breaks for the wealthy, unions getting shafted, the working class getting shafted, politicians giving fancy speeches, nothing much changing. And they said, we're done. We're doing it ourselves. And they, they, they took it over and they won. And guess what? They got the president of the United States to show up on the picket line. I mean, what more validation of uh, the American people standing with them? I, I think it's amazing, and I, I hope it's going to inspire more of these actions around the country. Well, Congressman, this has been a very delightful conversation. I thank you so much for, for joining us here on America's Workforce. Do you have any brothers or sisters that can run to? I, I really like, I figure we need more Rokanas out there. Do you, do you have oh, any well, to help you're us very out? Kind. My, my brother's a prosecutor, so he's, uh, he's happy with his life, but uh, I think we need more people uh, of your listeners, I mean, you've got an incredible program for for over thirty years, and uh, I, I I'm hoping some of the folks in UAW and teachers and all run and people who listen to you run. But you know, let me just end with this point: the, the thing that gives me hope is at the end of the day, despite the money, despite whoever wins in twenty four, and obviously I'm very much going to do a hundred percent for the president. We've got a very strong democracy. The son of Indian immigrants can uh, be elected at the age of 40 to represent Silicon Valley, which is probably a district that has produced more wealth than anywhere in America, where you've got an incredibly diverse Congress, where you've now got labor organizing. I'll tell you something. Don't ever underestimate the country's uh, ability to, to get it right. And I, I'm a believer in this country. I'm a believer in the next generation. And I'm a believer that the mobilization is going to fix this mistakes of 
the income inequality and vast disparities, and we're going to emerge as a stronger country. And we're going to bring back the new industries, and that's going to inspire the world. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing your story with our listeners here, Congressman. Representative Ro Khanna, 17th District in California. Please, please, please stay in touch with us, okay? I, I love what you're doing. Let, let's continue the mission, all right? I'd love to. Thanks for having me. And you have myself, so let's, let's stay in touch. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to link up with Mark Murray. Mark is a staff rep with the United Steelworkers. That would be District 1, which encompasses Ohio and the state of Michigan. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The Alliance for American Manufacturing is a nonprofit, nonpartisan partnership formed back in 2007 by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers. Their mission is simple strengthen American manufacturing and create new private sector jobs through smart public policies. Keyword there is smart. We need to be smarter than ever in today's highly competitive world. The Alliance for American Manufacturing believes that an innovative and growing manufacturing base is vital to America's economic and national security, as well as providing good jobs for future generations. Good jobs today, good jobs tomorrow. Good American jobs. Find out more at AmericanManufacturing.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to line number two right now. Welcome to the show, Mr. Mark Murray. Mark is a staff representative for one of our great sponsors, the United Steelworkers, usw.org is the national website. And District 1 is Ohio and Michigan. And lo and behold, 
Ohio and Michigan are playing football tomorrow. Mark Murray, what side are you on, brother? Go Buckeyes. <laughs> From Warren, Ohio, I would expect something like that. So I appreciate you saying that and I appreciate you coming on the show on this so-called Black Friday. But uh, uh, we're talking off the air here a little bit. What, 30 years now, a member of the Steelworkers? Take me back to that time. Uh, what was it, 1993 that you started? And where? Maybe you can give us some details. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me again. Um, I started in uh, Warren, Ohio at Thomas Steel Strip in 1993. Just as a general laborer in the facility. And um, throughout the years, I worked my way up through the union ranks from the very first trustee spot to uh, two terms as president. And I have 21 combined years in my local servicing just our facility. And then uh, last year I had the honors of uh, being asked to come out and service the United Steelworkers and be a staff representative in District 1. So it was quite a change from, you know, being in a facility to coming out and now servicing. I have 22 locals mm-hmm. that I have to service. And how's that been going so far? I, it, it's pretty good. It's busy, hectic. Um, you have to make sure you keep everything in the, in line and perspective with negotiations and, uh, you know, grievances and things like that, timelines, and it's it's busy. Well, let's talk about Thomas Strip Steel. And what is there another name for it? Is it uh, Ta Tata Steel? Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's Tata Steel currently. Okay, okay. Um, and and they have quite a history, don't they? Yes, they do. Actually, this year, uh, last month in October, they celebrated uh, a centennial 100-year anniversary of being open for 100 years. And um, maybe you could give us some specifics on what, what obviously, it, it, it's strip steel. Can you help me on that? What What's the process here? And I understand there's some plans for expansion due to uh, EV production in the country. Can you speak to that? Yeah, um, I'll give you a slight little uh, rundown. So, obviously, 1923, a guy by the name of Mr. Thomas founded Thomas Steel. And then throughout the years, they revolved from... Thomas Steel to Willing Pit to H&T, which is High Camp Tuming, Core Steel, and now it's Tata Steel, owned by the Indians. Um, they do mainly electroplate, so the process would be the steel is brought in, cold rolled down to various gauges, electroplated with either nickel or different uh, products. They do some brass, they do some copper, and they have a corrosion-resistant steel they call Nizen. And it's been a very um, challenging road over the years as things have transpired. And they've went from making just so many different things to everything is in the battery market now and fuel line. And when I say battery, uh, they do a lot of, like, EverReady Duracell batteries. Mm-hmm. And then they do... Uh, which is a huge market now is the EV market because as we know, you know, the combustible engines are, they're trying to do away with those and go to all electric power, which you have to have batteries to make them run. And the EV market is huge now. 
So maybe you can be specific on what kind of expansion and the challenges for that expansion. I mean, are we talking X amount of jobs here? Uh, and what, what timeline are we looking at right now, Mark? Um, there, they have some upgrades uh, to the facility currently that have created a few jobs. Um, they have some other ones that I'm not really allowed to speak about that are exactly to what they are, but they're uh, hopefully put in for some more equipment because this, this EV market is expanding so big that they can't keep up mm -hmm. over here at Thomas. And they're the only nickel plate customer in the country that can plate steel with nickel. And so they, uh, yeah, they have to expand their business if they want to grow it because as of currently, they're almost maxed out with tonnage. So what are the plans? I mean, do they have a game plan for expansion right now? I mean, they got to prepare for the future here, as you, as you indicated, you know, fossil fuel cars are, are going to be a thing of the past. I, mean, I think it's going to take longer than what a lot of people think, but bottom line, it's going in that direction. Correct. Um, they do have, they do have some uh, plans for some new lines to go in and different things like that. Um, create more jobs, hopefully down the road, but you know, it all starts with funding from, you know, they're owned by the Tata Group, so they have to start with the funding from the Tata Group to get the new equipment. Well, I can only imagine that conversation has already begun. Are they are they being kind of? It sounds like they're not. I don't know. It sounds it, in this conversation, I'm getting the the impression that they're got, kind of going slow on this, but the market is demanding more. Am I am I hearing this correctly? Yeah, the the, the market has demanded more immediately. Um, but as of all corporations, they're kind of hesitant on, you know, just jumping into funding right away. So they have, you know, they have to look at whether they want to do things at our facility or do things and create another facility outside of the big customers. I see. Uh, they, they currently have some customers on the West Coast. Um, I can't share the names with you. Um, I can just tell you that. They're, they're very big customers. And to get the steel from Warren, Ohio to the West Coast is just astronomically priced, whether it's by rail car or whether it's by semi. Mm -hmm. So they've, you know, they've looked at, you know, different means of do they possibly open another facility out West? You know, do they put the huge expansion in here and pay the, the money, you know, for the trucking so there's a lot of different things in the works. There's a lot of talks with the local uh, government officials and everything about rail car to get the rail system back up and running around here to be able to rail car it out there if it was a cheaper means than semis. Yeah, everything seems to be in a state of flux right now. Another question yeah. here. Uh, you've, been, you've been associated with them for, what, three decades now. And yeah. uh, I just have to ask you how, how the relations are with the union. And, and I know, you know, there's always ups and downs and all that, but Mark, you've been in the middle of it all. What's your assessment of that? The, um, if you actually lived in this area and saw over the years, there has been 
a few major labor disputes. Um, the last one we came out of was 08, 09. Uh, that labor dispute was a little lengthy and pretty ugly. And so after that labor dispute, the local member leadership decided, you know, that things had to go a little bit different or we weren't going to be around. And so the union in the company, they, the company turned over some new leadership. The union turned over some new leadership and, um, they built some trust in each other in a working relationship. And I was involved with that for quite a long time uh, before I left. And we had a really good relationship, open communication, and we had to make it work. Uh, 08, 09, when we went back to work, we were only working three weeks on, one week off, because uh, a lot of the customers at that point in time found it cheaper to take the equipment and move it overseas and produce it cheaper out of the country. But since then, these companies have gotten hit with tariffs and other, you know, financial means by the government that they found out it was cheaper to bring all that stuff back into the U.S. and start producing back here. Right. And so that was one of the things that we worked for between the membership and the um, company was to try to make it work. We, if we wanted to be there, we had to make it work. And so far it's working. It's not yeah. perfect, but it's working. That's the important thing. And I know I'm very familiar with what happened in the steel industry. When I started this show, which was back in 1998, the show has been going on since 1993, but there were some bad times there. I mean, Bethlehem steel, J and L LTV. Um, it was, and there was a, there was a good chunk of, of the country, I'm talking about elected officials, that said, you know what, we don't need that industry anymore. You know, it, it's, it's cheaper to be done overseas. They wanted to write it off altogether, and lo and behold, here we are today. We're still cranking it. We're bringing those jobs back one job at a time. So it's important that we stay on this conversation and, and keep looking to the future. Mark Murray, staff representative for District 1 of the United Steelworkers, one of the many proud sponsors of America's Workforce, USW.org, District 1, Ohio and Michigan. Hopefully, Ohio comes out on top tomorrow in that ball game. I know you'll be watching it. So you take care, my brother, okay? Yes, you too. Thanks for having me. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. That more. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.